Welcome to The Blind Side. News and information from a blindness perspective. Here's Jonathan Mosen. Welcome to episode 92, trying to keep lively and warm in this really wintry weather that we have at the moment. And if you are basking somewhere in the Northern Hemisphere with lovely weather, well, of course, our turn will come. In December or so, we'll be basking in the warm weather and looking forward to a long, hot summer over Christmas. So there. Let's take a look at who we'll be talking with on The Blind Side. A couple of great guests today. We'll be talking with Judy Dixon first. She's got a new book out. She's prolific, I tell you. This one is called Writing Your Way. And it tackles the question of all the ways that you can write on your iPhone. And also really considers the question, can you viably use one of these devices, an iDevice, as a content creation device for serious kind of content. And Judy talks about a range of apps and gives you tips and tricks, including on Braille screen input. So we'll be talking with Judy shortly. And then we'll be talking with Nat Armini from The Blind Perspective. In this age of throwaway media, you know, email lists where messages get deleted really quickly and Facebook and Twitter posts, It's nice to know that a group of blind people have got together to produce a high-quality magazine on a range of blindness-related issues. This is called The Blind Perspective, and you can receive this electronically, or you can also get it from NFB Newsline if you're in the United States and you subscribe to that, and that will tell us all about that. We've got a few listener comments, so I hope you enjoy the episode. Let me start by saying there was quite a reaction to my comments last week about the audio issues that I'd been experiencing with the Surface Book 2, and it's not just specific to that device. There are a range of devices experiencing audio issues with screen readers of all types in Windows. And I was encouraged to write a blog post on the subject, which I duly did over the weekend. I'll put a link to that in the show notes, and you can take a read. There's some more information there, including some potential workarounds for the issue, while hopefully people get their acts together and fix the audio issues. I had a range of comments on this, including one from Brian Hartgen, who wrote in to say that he's had an interesting issue which has required him to roll back the April 2018 update, where earlier versions of JAWS, which he has to have installed to test with, they worked perfectly fine before the April 2018 update, and now with JAWS 17, he's getting crackle. I see on Twitter that some people have tried this too and are not getting the crackle, so it just goes to show how much variation there is with audio devices and perhaps also different software in the mix and a whole bunch of things like that. But the Realtek audio driver issue really does seem to be a problem, and it's something that's got people quite galvanized. So I hope that as well as leaving useful comments on the blog post about the systems that are affected by this, you might also contact Realtek and the manufacturer of your computer and let them know that you're putting up with, or not really willing to put up with, an unsatisfactory experience. It's time to hear from this week's featured guest on The Blind Side. Many of us have been using iDevices as content consumption tools for years, but how about using them for content creation, specifically writing more than a quick text or a note? Is that viable? Well, that's just one of the topics covered in Judy Dixon's latest book for National Braille Press. It's called Writing Your Way, and Judy joins me now. Hi, Judy. Good morning, Jonathan. Welcome. Yeah, if I knew you were coming, I'd have bought a cake, by the way. <laughs> 
for those who don't know what I'm on about, you have to read the book. I, <laughs> yes. Tell, what was the inspiration behind writing the book? And, and tell me about the title. The title is Writing Your Way, Composing and Editing on an iPhone or iPad. And the title actually always comes last. It's uh, The book is completely written when we come up with a title. And National Braille Press proposes some and I propose some and I we I sometimes the titles really click and they're really fun uh, go where you want to go it was a great title and I loved that title and get the picture was good uh, but this title yeah I mean it's it's okay but it wasn't it, it didn't really grab me in the way some of the other titles have it is an apt title though because you reminded me going through your book of just how many ways you can get text into these things, right? I mean, the, the beginning of your book, the, the first several chapters actually just cover how you can input text into an iPhone or iPad before you even get onto the apps you might use. And that really is the point. There are so many different ways to get text into an iPhone or iPad. And it's really up to what you become comfortable with. If people don't like the on-screen QWERTY keyboard, they don't have to use it. There are so many other ways to conveniently get text into your phone without dragging around other devices, without having to worry about pairing things and is it charged and all of that. I mean, an external QWERTY keyboard can be a nice thing, but you have to have a place to put it. You have to have make sure it's charged and all of that. So that's not always convenient. Browse screen input, it sounds like it's your primary mode of input on the device itself. Is that correct? That actually is correct. If I'm going to write a text or an email or something, anything anything short, uh, I use Braille screen input, and I really, really like it. Yes. Yes, I do too. And I've had a number of people who have said you should do a blindside demo on Braille screen input, and we may well do that. I, I sort of have committed to doing it. But your description of Braille screen input is the most thorough that I have seen in this book, and it's it's comprehensive. It goes through how to set it up and the various configurations. Do you have a preference for the mode of Braille screen input that you use, the tabletop or away mode? When I first started to use Braille screen input, I used away mode. I thought that made the most sense for someone who was just going to hold the phone in my hand and that seemed to be a sensible way. But I very quickly went away from that. I'm not entirely sure why. It just wasn't comfortable. And now I use tabletop mode, even without I don't have a tabletop, on my two thumbs. And I just type on it like my thumbs were, were a tabletop. And it just works great. Yes, I agree. I think what I like about it, particularly on a larger phone like the plus-size models or now the iPhone X, which is a little smaller, but it still works fine, is that it really does feel like brailing on the Perkins, the way that the keys are, are laid out side by side, whereas it's a different mindset. It might be easier for people who use green away mode uh, if they're used to using a slate and stylus, I think, because you're effectively brailing like a this, the shape of a braille cell rather than the keys on a Perkins. Well, you can still use your left index finger to braille A, in screen away mode. So you don't have to think about reversing cells or yeah, anything like yeah. that. It's, it's still, you, you still, your motor memory is still there, but um, it just, there wasn't enough travel or some, I don't know. I, I can't quite tell you why I 
went away from rail, from screen away mode, but I did. And I really prefer, plus you got to do a lot of flipping of the phone. You have to do it anyway, because you have to rotor to braille screen input. And I find it convenient to have braille screen in top of my rotor setting. So it's always, uh, when uh, Apple used to default it to the first thing to the right, no matter where you'd put it. But they stopped doing that, I think, in iOS 9 or so. And now it ju- it shows up wherever it shows up. And that's pretty inconvenient to have to do it to get to your Braille screen input. It's just wonderful to be able to input text at that kind of speed without having to carry anything external with you. I think Braille screen input is just tremendous. Um, yes, I, and now that the contractions speak, yes. I think some some people tried it a year or two or three ago, and, and it, it wasn't fully evolved then, and so it wasn't ideal. And now... Because of the the contraction speak, I mean it's it's as good as it's going to get, I suspect, and it's just wonderful. Do you think there's any way they might be able to add some more editing functions without exiting the browse screen input mode, though? That's that's one request that I hear from time to time. Well, Embraille does. Um, there's there is a a commercial app called Embraille, and I do talk about Embraille in the book, and I have used it enough to become familiar with it. I'm not. Uh, an Embraille expert by any means, because I, I uh, just like Braille screen input. But um, Embraille does have some editing, and so it is it is possible they could they could borrow a few features from there. So your book is structured in a way that you first go through all the different ways that you can get text into the phone. So we're looking at the traditional virtual QWERTY keyboard and its various its three typing modes. We're looking at Braille screen input and a Bluetooth keyboard and a Braille display. So you're covering all of that. And then we go on to the apps that one might use. And I guess my question for you is, would you consider at this point, or are you already doing this, actually writing one of these books on your iDevice, I I did I did confess in this book that I did not write it on the iDevice, but in the in the interest of fairness to my readers, I felt I needed to write at least some part of it on the iDevice. So I was somewhere near the end. Oh, you you forgot the chapter on editing. Yes, there's a whole there's there's a whole there's a whole chapter about editing with a QWERTY keyboard, editing with a Braille display, editing with, uh, you know, whatever whatever you might have at hand. Mm-hmm. And, and then we, we do go into the apps, and then there's kind of a miscellaneous chapter. So I decided to write the app section on Microsoft Word, actually, on the device. And that was fun because I was trying the going back and forth from my PC to my phone, and, and it really was quite slick. I, I was pleased how well that worked. If you had to pick one app that you could have on your phone and use as your primary writing tool, which one would you pick? It would probably be Drafts. Uh, Drafts is amazing. Drafts is one of those apps that if you take the time to learn it and understand it, it's kind of like all those things like IFTTT and and Workflow and these things, you know, they, like, it, they're just daunting, you know. <laughs> if I can learn how to do all this, I could probably have done all those tests a zillion times over. But drafts is cool because when you open it, you are in a document. You are you don't have to do anything. You are in a new document. If you want to get one of your old documents, it's kind of like Word. You know, if you open Word, you're in a new document. But if you want to get one of your old documents, you can open an old document. But it you can do a lot of things with it. It has It's very, very, very powerful and yet can be quite simple to use if you want it to be. 
Yes, you told me about, I was having dinner with you and Doug at Seaside and you were telling me about drafts and after that I went and bought it and had a play and it's almost like this kind of standalone dedicated environment almost like an operating system where you can do all sorts of things well beyond writing a document right i mean oh gosh, yeah. you you can you can essentially write some text in this thing and then decide where does the text go i mean it might end up as a tweet or if you're on facebook a facebook post or, or whatever um it's this kind of sounding board where everything that you could possibly write goes and then you then choose where it ends up it could be an email message as well just basically That's- yeah any number of places yeah. And that's that's very cool. The other the other app that I think kind of stands out for its elegance is Voice Dream Writer. Uh, you can really do some clever things with Voice Dream Writer, and it's really it's really a, a a lovely, elegant app. Yes. Now here's my dilemma with all of this stuff. Uh, in the end, all my serious writing projects have to end up as a nicely formatted Microsoft Word document complete with all the styles, lots of heading levels and and that kind of thing. And what I find with Voice Dream Writer, which is a lovely app, is, you know, I've got to keep it there until I'm really finished because when you export it to Microsoft Word, you can't import that Word file back again, say, if you've made some changes on the PC, Mm. unless that has changed in recent revisions. But I don't think it has but it could be something we could look forward to that would be a nice very nice feature to import a word file with all of its in all its glory yes yeah that would make a huge difference for me the other thing i find is that uh, working in microsoft word is an accessible experience on the phone and this comes back to this thing i've been going on about for yonks about the there is a difference sometimes between something being accessible and efficient to use and one of the things i miss in microsoft word is the lack of all the keyboard commands that I use on the PC. So as far as I'm aware, there's not a keyboard command that lets you just quickly select text and then apply heading level one or um, yeah, different styles that you might have set up yourself. You can you can bold and you can underline and italicize, but you can't apply different styles in the same way that you can on the PC version, which is a real slower downer. I agree, and I do all those sim- similar sorts of things in my Word files when I'm writing my books, so I know exactly what you mean. And... One way to approach it, I suppose, would just be to write all the text and then uh, take it to a PC at the end to do all the styling. Yes, and that's viable because these days, it's not like the old days where you would perhaps lose some formatting when you exported from a mobile device and took it back to the PC. It's, It's very transparent to be able to make some changes on the phone, save it, and then bring it into the PC for serious editing. So that is viable. You mentioned Markdown as well which is pretty popular, isn't it, for doing some quite complex formatting that then renders itself correctly when you do an export. It, 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 it's cool. It's fun. Um, I, I Again, I played with it when I was writing. Uh, that is really neat because it, it really does work. And it's easy to remember. So if you want to do a uh, numbered list, you just put number signs in front of it. It takes care of it. Uh, for you and you can even rearrange the numbers and it will take care of that and it's quite it's quite fun that all the little symbols you can use it's it's quite memorable one thing that's also working well both in pages and word based on your description is the use of templates and that can be quite uh, an efficiency gainer there that actually took me some time to sort out explaining how that template worked because it is a little tricky. Basically, the idea here is you get something like a letter and 
you highlight the thing, you know, like the inside address. So, and, and voiceover does a good job of telling you what's highlighted. So you have a clue. But when you get to the actual body of the text, it highlights the whole thing. And you don't always know that's what it did. And, but it always does it. So it's, it's once you get the idea of how a template works, then it's pretty easy to, to figure out what to do and where to put your text and so forth. But these are, these are things with fake text in them it's not even real text it's you can't i mean it's it's pictures of text when you get when you start to type in your field all of it disappears because it's not really there how would you evaluate voiceover's ability to give us the feedback we need in this sort of environment so you may be able to apply different um type fonts different text attributes how much feedback are we getting about what we've applied when we're reviewing the document you have to query it you can't you i mean it's not going to just automatically tell you and i'm not sure we actually really want it to because it would it could really get annoying and get in the way of every paragraph or every font change you had to hear all about it um, I, I actually find that in notes, I hear more about fonts than I care to. But uh, in Word, you have to actually to uh, actually ask it to tell you what what font and what point size and so forth. And and I'm I'm fine with that. I I think it works pretty well. Yeah, there's going to be quite a lot of improvement in that regard in Braille and iOS 12, where they're adding a huge number of um, commands that report different attributes. So that's that's going to be exciting. Oh, really? Yeah. More Braille commands? More Braille commands. Yeah, it's about the only ah. thing they've added in voiceover this year, but they've paid some attention to Braille. So that's... Which uh, which then leads me to tell you about the appendices mm -hmm. in this book, because the appendices were really fun. This book, a lot of this book is almost a reference book. If you're looking for things like, what is the layout of a magic keyboard? I tell you what every single key is and each row and what the keys are. And then in the, there are eight appendices. There's an appendix Braille screen input. There's one for dictation, which is a really, really long list of all the words you can say in dictation, the, quite a lot more than people think. And then there's a hardware keyboard commands, uh, all the uh, Bluetooth keyboard commands for that are general. And then a Braille display commands list. And and then Braille commands. All the Braille <laughs> actually went through and copied manually all the Braille commands. There are, what is 111 of them mm. in Braille commands, but it's very slick. And then the Voice Dream writers specific commands and and uh, shortcuts and kinds of ways of doing. Things. And then pages and Word. So we have uh, eight appendices of. Keyboard shortcuts, commands, all those kinds of things. Yeah, what Apple has done with Braille in recent times, I know they had a few rough edges in iOS 11 and we shouldn't underplay that, but um, it's it's pretty remarkable how mature their Braille support is now and how flexible it is. I really love using a Braille display with Apple devices. It, you're right, It's there. there's so much. It, it takes time. It takes time to get it all set up like you want it, but if you're willing to invest that time, I think it's well worth it. Judy Dixon's book is called Writing Your Way, Composing and Editing on an iPhone or iPad, and it is available from National Braille Press right now. Prices range from between about $20 and $22, depending on the format you want. And there are a range of formats, including 
contracted Braille and Microsoft Word, a whole bunch of formats. You can check it out. We will provide a link in the show notes if you want to go there manually. Just search for Judy Dixon or Writing Your Way at www.nbp.org. It is a really good book. And I tell you what, if you're one of those people that wants the mysteries of Braille screen input unraveled, it is worth paying the 20 bucks or so just for that. For a long time, it's been said there's a book inside every one of us just waiting to come out. And you know, I think that's true of podcasts too. You're listening to a podcast right now, so you know the power of the medium. But where to get started? Podcast hosting companies, microphones, single track, multi-track, and what about a mixer? Do you even need one? I created a four-hour tutorial called Unleash Your Inner Podcast that helps you understand what you need to do to get a podcast up and running and the various means you have of creating one. It's easier than you think when someone explains it clearly. I've been podcasting since 2004, and I'm happy to share what I've learned all from a blindness perspective. Unleash Your Inner Podcast is available for purchase and instant download at mosin.org slash podcasting. Unleash Your Inner Podcast today. Our place, our issues. The Blind Side with Jonathan Mosin. There's so much going on in the blind community that it can sometimes be difficult to keep up. A group of volunteers some years ago organized a fantastic newsletter called The Blind Perspective, and it keeps growing from strength to strength. I've been interviewed by them a couple of times now, and I thought, let's turn the tables and get The Blind Perspective on the blind side so that our audience can learn about what this newsletter does and how you can subscribe. So I'm joined by Nat Armini from The Blind Perspective. Welcome, Nat. It's great to have you on The Blind Side. Same here. Thank you. My pleasure. Tell me about the Blind Perspective and how it got started and what it does. Okay. Well, we started it on in January of 2017, uh, 2015 was our um, our first issue that came out. And um, it's basically a, a nonpartisan group of blind people writing for blind people in mind. So we have things like uh, interviews with people such as yourself that are movers and shakers in the, in the blindness uh, community, as well as um, people that are coming up with uh, you know different apps or different devices to make our life more complete or you know entertaining wise. And um, then we also have a segment called the international perspective, which is uh, how life is in different countries for blind people. So we've had countries like. Um, Australia, New Zealand, uh, Canada, uh, the United States, um, Israel. So all different countries where there's blind people that are willing to either be interviewed for that segment or write their own little piece about how life is. And uh, the author of that, Karen, um, will send you like a guideline to tell you, you know, the you know uh, guideline about what to do and what not to do uh, in regards to, you know, for education and Braille in your um, community, etc. And then we have uh, other uh, people. For example, we have Carla Joe who writes a, a book review. And the beauty of this, uh, Jonathan, is that, you know, usually when I used to uh, be in parts of uh, uh, book clubs, yeah, the book sounds great that my peers are going to read, but good luck getting it. And now with uh, this article, when she talks about a book, it's available. And Carla adds in the, the special um, effect that she has the 
BARD uh, book reference, as well as the Canadian Library book reference, and the RNIB for the UK book reference. So it's a, a truly a global experience. And um, so she does that, and people really like it, and it's cool because all, all those books can be uh, obtained at the particular libraries, and we don't have to worry about it not being available, et cetera, et cetera, because she researches it all and makes sure that it's all there and, and ready. Uh, then we have the regular stuff like computers, uh, iDevices. We have a, a gentleman that writes about that. Um, we also have a lady who's a, uh, a master gardener, and um, she writes about either gardening, like uh, traditional gardening, or um, uh, potted uh, gardening. So that's pretty cool, you know, knowing things, and she'll explain things from a blind person's perspective, as well as our exercise uh, guru, uh, Danny. Um, you know, he explains exercises and makes it sound so simple as opposed to us having to assume how to stand and, and, and bend or have our knees apart, um, you know, our, our back straight, etc. All the stuff that sighted people take for granted because they can see the, uh, the aerobics person or the exercise person doing it in front of them. And we kind of miss out on that kind of stuff. But the, all that detail is there. And then we have uh, a lady who writes the... Um, uh, it's called Spencer's Spotlight, and she just writes about different gadgets that she enjoys and uses and, and thinks are beneficial in everyday life. So all these things um, are all blindness-related and made simple in the fact that blind people can relate to it. Sounds like a really eclectic mix of content there. I presume that there was some niche that you felt as creators of the newsletter when you started or that you were filling, that somehow there was a gap there that you could fill? Well, we wanted something that was truly from the blind uh, for the blind. And also we didn't want to have any relation with uh, anybody, you know, any organization, any blindness organization. So if, you know, XYZ company does something, we're not obligated not to give our opinion about it. And so, you know, we're, we're not, we're not affiliated with anybody. So that's the beauty of it. And um, it's great. And our membership is growing and uh, we're loving it. And everybody's, uh, you know, we're all, we're all focused on the same, uh, on the same uh, birds, so to speak. Do you have a feel for the kind of audience you're attracting? I, I ask because I suppose in this day and age with Twitter and Facebook and email lists and things, there are a lot of ways for blind people to connect. So what is it about what you're offering that kind of brings people to it? Well, like I uh, mentioned before, for example, the exercise, that gentleman is giving you exact detailed description on how to do the exercise. You, you can't get any better. Like I'm, I'm fascinated reading just his article in particular, because like I say, he tells you things that we would miss as, as blind consumers. Um, the same thing with the planting, you know, the, the Sue, the, the planting lady, she will tell you, you know, make sure there's, you got to need this kind of uh, diameter or, uh, you know, that deep of a kind of a pot. Um, make sure, you know, you feel to make sure that it's, uh, that the dirt is um, moistened enough, just stuff that we as blind people maybe, you know, uh, miss, um, that uh, you know, decided our our cited uh, peers do, and it gets mentioned in the in the article, and 
same thing with the lady who writes for the the cooking concoction uh, segment. You know, she will give um, specific details on how to take uh, a spoonful of uh, you know a particular dough or whatever, and then rolling it into a ball and making sure that it's several inches away from the next one because then when it uh, it's cooking, it, it spreads so it doesn't connect with the next one and make a you know a messy uh, cookie. So just stuff like that that maybe we'd miss reading a regular um, recipe. You know, there's an added blind component to it, which I think makes it a, a special publication. Mm. That's interesting because it sounds very similar to one of the motivations I had for starting this podcast, that while we do cover a lot of technology here, there is more to life than technology when you're a blind person. And technology coverage is quite saturated, isn't it? But there are many other aspects of life that we can focus on. Yes, definitely. Hmm. Are you all volunteers putting the newsletter together? Yes, it's all volunteer. Everybody just loves doing what they're doing. And so it's all a, a job of passion. And um, we have um, to help maintain the website and um, other expenses that we have. We uh, do offer the sponsorship of the month. So if you sponsor that month's newsletter, you're mentioned in the, in the newsletter, in the sponsorship uh, segment, as well as on the web page. So it's um, we do try to generate some money, like I say, to cover our, our fixed costs. How did you all come to know one another? Well, that's amazing because a core group of us um, knew each other from different um, chat communities. And um, so, for example, Karen and I met um, and we started talking about uh, the, the need of something like this. And then we we said, OK, let's do it. So. I started looking for the, you know, the URL to make sure it was available and all that kind of stuff, secured that. And then she started recruiting people. And it, um, we have two people from South Africa. We have uh, one Canadian, which is myself, and then the rest are, um, are American. But um, it was neat because one time we, uh, we, our original craftsperson was from the United States, and then she... After the first issue, she decided that it wasn't her cup of tea. So then uh, Karen just mentioned it in, the, in an upcoming article and said, you know, we're looking for a, uh, a person that does crafts. Well, lo and behold, um, Lindsay from South Africa, and she's been with us ever since uh, 2015, ever since the, the first month wasn't her. And then from February onward, so today she's still writing and she comes up with different crafts every month. And that's amazing because a lot of people write her and say, you know, I do this with my sighted nieces and nephews or my sighted kids. Or some people say I, I write and you know, I do this with my blind uh, child. So it's amazing that people, the the power of, of the written word as well as the, the spoken word is incredible. And it just gets proven every time over and over again. How do you deliver the content? Is this a website where people go to view one article at a time, or are there a, there a range of ways that people can consume the content? Right now, there's two ways of um, to be able to to read the newsletter. Um, we have a text copy of the newsletter as well as an audio copy. And so, what happens is people subscribe to um, a direct email every month in your inbox of the newsletter of the text version of it. Now, if you want, you can go to the website, theblindperspective.com, and there's all our issues uh, since January 2015, uh, all, the, all the way up to today. And there's the 
text version as well as the um, audio version. And um, so th those are the two ways to get it. And um, so the newsletter, you know, the, the email distribution is the best way to get it because then you don't have to worry about it. The first of every month or the, the last day of the previous month, um, the email will come and you only, it's a very low traffic. You only get one email a month. And um, yeah, so people read it. And like I say, if you want to read past copies or read about the particular author, you can go to our website and read their particular page with a little you know, brief um, detail about them and uh, read all the articles that they've uh, written. So the beauty of the website is uh, created by blind people, once again, for blind people. So the headings all work. You know, you can navigate through headings um, and it's all jaws friendly obviously and even our uh, our logo is described and so you can read the current newsletter right there from the home page or listen to the audio copy of it and um, everybody all the authors are you can get a hold of them via email and uh, we all invite people's uh, emails you know suggestions uh, constructive feedback etc it's free to subscribe yes it's a free publication and how's it doing? You're getting a lot of response. Yeah, yeah, we're uh, we're, we're at about 1,150 uh, subscribers, and uh, we're slowly but surely moving up. You know, and um, we're always looking for uh, new subscribers and obviously new uh, people writing us in. And the the reader's perspective is always great for input, uh, people's different ideas and their solutions for you know uh, scenarios and whatever. Like I described. Um, People like one of them was about um, when you go to a restaurant with a sighted person and the, uh, the the server refers to the sighted person. What will you know he have pointing at you? And uh, so you know how would you deal with that? So people wrote in, and um, so then uh, the author will put the people's uh, answers in the in the that segment, and it generates a conversation and. People write somebody writes one thing, and then boom, everybody's giving their uh, their opinion, and uh, which is great because you learn lots of things, right? So, and you obviously take some care over the quality of the output, right? It's it's proofread and and checked for grammar and all those good things. Yes, Karen is a wonderful um, editor, and um, she makes sure that everything is, uh, is is perfect and you know spell checked, and the grammar is all there, and it makes sense. And uh, and also, um, we're also on Newsline for our American uh, listeners um, under the Boston uh, area uh, submission. So you go in there and you read the the different stuff under Boston, uh, under Massachusetts, and um, then uh, the blind perspectives in there. So you can listen to the current or the previous month on there. And that's, I think that's a testament to Karen's wonderful detailed work and how she, you know, takes care of the little things because to be on the, on Newsline, you have to have a pretty good uh, publication. You know, they're um, do mainly uh, mainstream media and stuff like that. So for um, an online newsletter, it's quite a compliment and a feather in our cap to be on there. Well, congratulations for keeping on with this and seeing it grow. It must be very rewarding. And we'll put a link to the site in the show notes, but the website you are at again is www.theblindperspective, all joined together, right? .com. Correct. Correct. 
correct? And then for people to subscribe, it's just the blind perspective, the plus sign, subscribe at groups.io. And then we're on Facebook, uh, you know, facebook.com slash uh, the blind perspective newsletter. And our Twitter handle is uh, at the blind perspective NL. And that's Nat Amini from The Blind Perspective. Definitely check them out. We were talking about writing a little bit earlier in the podcast with Judy Dixon. So it's timely that I mention to you that Debbie Armstrong, who was on The Blind Side a couple of weeks ago when we talked about WWDC, has decided to set up a writer's group for the blind. They have created a mailing list called Writer's Retreat on groups.io. So one presumes that you subscribe by sending an email to Writer's Retreat, all one word. And of course, there's no apostrophe anywhere because you can't put them in emails. Writer's Retreat plus subscribe at groups.io. They are going to use the Talking Communities technology, the TC conferencing technology, to have a Writer's Retreat meeting, a voice chat meeting. And that is going to take place on the 14th of July. This is their first meeting. So if you do a bit of writing and you would like to connect with other blind writers, sounds like the thing to do might be in the first instance to subscribe to that email list, writers retreat plus subscribe at groups.io. And you can share your writing in that group and then get prepared for the 14th of July meeting, which will be a voice chat one. Feel the need to sound off? Share your thoughts about this week's show by email. Send an audio file or write it down and email theblindside at mosin.org. And of course you have the new alternative of the feedback line where you can phone in your comments. That number is 719-270-5114. That is in the United States, of course. 719-270-5114. Here's an email from John Wesley Smith who says the question of libraries for the blind is a complex one. With regard to your comments on it, let's suppose Google made all books available in accessible format. Would we want to listen to a synthesized voice, read them all? Do all of us have devices or computers capable of that? How would that be remedied? I believe the National Library Service for the Blind and Physically Handicapped has done a wonderful job creating their cartridge players. No, they're not as portable as a Victory to Stream or a smartphone, but they're certainly adequate as a replacement for cassette players, especially for those who cannot afford other playback devices. If, for some reason, the props were pulled out from under our program in the United States, what would replace it? Would Amazon and Audible make their books available free or at lower cost to the blind? Again, the issue of suitable playback equipment rises. I'm grateful for all that goes into our library program in the US. It may not be perfect, as some would see perfection, but it is quite useful. Thanks very much, John. And I suppose there are some interesting questions there. The first is, will it always be the case that text-to-speech sounds like it does currently? If we look at the advances that have been made in text-to-speech, even in the last 10 to 20 years, they have been remarkable. And now some of the newer voices sound quite human-like. It is true to say that a lot of them can't possibly give you the inflection and the emotion of some human reader. But eventually, I'd suggest that artificial intelligence will mean that that will be less and less the case. There's also, of course, the question of opportunity cost. And this is a really complex one to think about. But would people rather have 100% of the world's books accessible 
Or would they rather have the tiny fraction of the world's books that are accessible at the moment, but with human narration? I know what I'd personally go for, and that, that would be to be able to read any book that I liked. If we moved away from the present model, of course, there may be funds freed up for some sort of device that could be made available to blind people that would not only provide book content, but also give them some sort of internet access in a user-friendly way, do a whole bunch of other tasks that might benefit from them. So this is all daydreaming stuff, of course, blue sky thinking, and nothing's going to change in the immediate future. But I think it is kind of easy for us to get stuck in a rut and think that what we have now is the best that we can possibly get, and it may not necessarily be the case. The other thing I'd note too is that the commercial audiobook market has really advanced in the last 20 years or so, largely thanks to services like audible.com. And there are now many titles on Audible, an increasing number. It is pretty rare now that you don't see a really popular book not available from Audible in audio format. And often the releases are simultaneous. I, for example, read the Jim Comey book the moment it came out. And I don't personally like audiobooks much at all. I prefer to be able to read at a much faster clip and um, I use Braille or synthetic speech most of the time. But I did read the Jim Comey book on Audible the moment that it came out. And I do enjoy reading books when they're read by the author, especially non-fiction biographical type things. So it was an enjoyable to hear Jim Comey in his own words. But I don't think that's blindness related. I mean, clearly there's a market for that audiobook because it was available commercially from Audible. So it's interesting to think about what the future might look like and whether there is a way that we can unlock all of the world's literature so that we're not just limited to this fraction of the content that we currently have. I think that's a really laudable goal to think about and brainstorm about. And maybe technology in the future will make that more realistic. Hi, everybody. This is Beth from Virginia. I am as interested in the philosophy of blindness as I am in mainstream and blindness-related tech. I have been thinking about and have come across a few things which I would like to bring to everyone's attention for future discussion. The first thing that you, Jonathan, were discussing in response to emails recently is about books. And it's surprising to me that it's about 1% of books only which are being made available. That's a pretty shocking figure, even though that's a lot of books in number, and you probably couldn't read them all in 10 lifetimes. But still, that is a rather poor representation of being able to read accessibly. It seems to me that publishers may not be aware of the need for accessible methods of publishing books, although with Bookshare they certainly are aware of it, but there may not be enough awareness there to counteract the very disappointing state of affairs in terms of books 
for the blind. I wonder how Overdrive is doing. And there are other, I believe, public library-oriented sites and apps. Another thing I've been thinking about is the cane and the guide dog. It seems to me that in the year 2018, it's time for a makeover. First of all, what I think should happen is that there should be a wearable vest or jacket or and or belt thing which would tell of obstacles ranging from overhead to steps and curbs. There are a lot of people and maybe a surprising amount of people in some quarters who cannot or who choose not to use a cane or a dog. In my case, I have nerve damage in both arms and if I were to use a cane as I was trained to do within, I guess depending on the cane's structure and material, two to five minutes of quote-unquote normal cane use, I would have eight out of ten arm pain and I would be unable to continue. I also have 50% hearing loss and that of course has its own difficulties in terms of navigation. IRA is something I am super excited about. I can carry a cane, I can use a cane as a probe, but that's about it. And I'm thinking that the cane and the dog really deserve more technological breakthroughs. The use of sleep shades, I have read that if you wear a sleep shade or something similar that you, for a few weeks at a time, and I'm imagining that means without any kind of respite, your visual cortex will start to reuse itself. I have read at some point years ago that you can lose vision after wearing sleep shades or something similar for a protracted period of time, and that would not be a good thing. In a podcast, not The Blind Side, but I don't remember, I listened to so many of them, I don't remember which one, I heard that Lyft, the ride-sharing service, now has a policy which states that a driver must, at all times, allow a service animal to be in that driver's vehicle. And it doesn't matter if the driver is allergic to dogs, and it's, it's mostly dogs that we're talking about, and it doesn't matter if the driver has a religious or cultural objection to dogs. Here's my take on that. First of all, if the driver is truly allergic, what is that driver supposed to do? 
it seems to me that if a driver does not take the person, that driver could be cited for doing just that. But if a truly allergic driver picks up the person with a dog, that driver could, at the very best case scenario, just be mildly annoyed. I suppose worst case could really get pretty ill. And in our worldview today, it seems that we must take into account people's cultural norms. Because according to the prevalent worldview, we are global. And so since we are global, we must take these cultural phenomena into account. However, that runs smack up against the Lyft policy, which states that you must pick the person up, regardless of what your cultural viewpoint is. So are we now getting into a reverse discrimination thing where we are discriminating against people's cultures because we want to be served as blind people. Is that the way this worldview would relate to this? Some interesting points there, Beth, and I'll respond to the last one and maybe we'll have some listener response to them as well. The guide dog-related issues that you raise there pertaining to discrimination go to the heart, I believe, of what constitutes discrimination, whether discrimination is occurring at all. If you have an allergy, let's say, to strawberries, yeah, there are people who do have strawberry allergies. I know of a couple of people. Is it discrimination that you can't go out and get a job as a strawberry picker, or is it simply recognizing your incapacity? Is it any different, for example, from me not being able to be a taxi driver because I have a disqualifying characteristic, namely my inability to see. If we accept that if you're part of a small passenger transit service, like a taxi service, Uber or Lyft, you're required by law to carry a service animal, say a guide dog in this instance, because this is a blindness-related podcast, then surely if you have that sort of allergy, Maybe the answer is that you're just not capable of being in that particular profession. Is that discrimination or is that just a reasonable acknowledgement of a limitation that prevents you from fulfilling a certain role? Now, I suppose there's an argument that says we can accommodate this person. We can accommodate them by not giving them jobs relating to service animals. But that would require the service animal owner to disclose, wouldn't it? You would have to, if you were making a reservation with an app or phoning a taxi dispatch service, you would have to say, by the way, I'm traveling with a guide dog. And I know some people do that. I never did when I was a guide dog handler, and Bonnie does neither. And I think it's a bad practice to get into myself, because the law says that every taxi, every small passenger transit vehicle, as we call them here, to cover the new ride-sharing services that have sprung up over the last few years, has to carry a service animal. And then what happens if you're in the business district, you just need to jump into a taxi 
and you need to be somewhere. Maybe there's a meeting and you're late for that meeting already and you approach a taxi and the taxi driver says, I can't take you. I've got an allergy. Well, first, how do you prove that? How do you know that they're not just stringing you along? And second, they are declining to accommodate you as they're required to do by law. So I really just wonder whether somebody with an allergy to animals that are commonly used as service animals really ought to be in this job at all. Regarding the question of religion, this is something that I feel quite strongly about. And of course, those who have been listening to The Blind Side for a long time know that I am a very public, committed and proud atheist. So I suppose to some extent, my comments come from that worldview. But I hope that those interested in public policy and may have had some involvement in the public policy formulation process might also have some sympathy with the point I want to make, even though they may well have a religious worldview. And it's simply this. I've worked very hard over my life, as have many blind people, to improve the lot of blind people through legislative change, whether that be laws relating to discrimination or copyright, for example, any number of issues. And of course, it wasn't always the case that the right for guide dogs to go anywhere was the law of the land. That was hard fought for and won. Now, in a democracy, everyone has access to the same process, right? You can go to your legislature in the United States, it would be Congress and many other countries where people are listening to this podcast, it would be their parliament. And you have an idea and you might work with a congressman or member of parliament. And that idea slowly progresses through the legislative process. And there's that glorious moment where it becomes law. And all that persuasion that you did, all that advocacy, finally, it has paid off and you've won the argument. Normally, in most democracies and countries where we have uh, the majority of listeners, it's a very open process. So if there's a piece of legislation, it goes to committee usually and people can make public submissions. People can have their say. And then our elected representatives have a vote. And based on that vote, either something is law or it is not. I think it's then really important that all of us must abide by that law. If we've had a discussion, and as a society, those in authority have ultimately concluded that discrimination against a certain group of people, whether they have a disability or whether they're gay or whatever the situation is, is wrong, then in my view, it is really dangerous to countenance an environment where we say, well, yeah, the law says this, but I'm entitled to exempt myself from this law because the particular deity that I've chosen to believe in has this different view. Let's not forget that religions over the years have been used to justify slavery. They are used in some parts of the world now to justify discrimination against women and, of course, people with disabilities. So where do we stop? If we say that it's okay for some group of people to discriminate against having a guide dog in their small passenger transit vehicle because they claim their religion says that they have to, and I understand there is actually some dispute about whether the religion does actually say that, then where do we stop? The law quite clearly says that I have a right to get into any vehicle. And again, I would suggest that if somebody really does have a problem with that, then perhaps taxi driving, Uber driving, Lyft driving isn't the profession for them. And I think in the case of Lyft's policy, it's not so much that it's a new policy. It sounds like what they're doing is very clearly articulating the position of the Americans with Disabilities Act. 
And if people say, well, that's fine, but people are entitled to have their passionately held convictions and should be entitled to have those respected, where, again, I ask, do we stop? Is it just with certain religions that are X number of years old? Somebody set up a religion a few years ago called the Pastafarians, I think it's called, and it's all to do with this thing called the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster. And people mock it, but actually it is being recognized in some countries now as a legitimate religion because really it has no more or less factual basis behind it than any other religion, right? So what religions and their particular beliefs do you allow to be exempt from the law of the land? And again, where do you stop? If I belong to a religion that says it's okay for me to kill people in certain circumstances, does that make it okay for me to go and murder someone? You have to have a series of laws that are applied consistently across the board. And if there are ways for people to opt out of those laws because they claim some sort of religious exemption, well, I just think it's a, it's a particularly slippery Slope, And of course, we're seeing this in the United States at the moment with the recent Supreme Court case that said it was OK for somebody to decline to make a cake for a couple who were legally getting married because they happened to be a same sex couple. So in my view, the answer is really quite simple. If you're going to drive a taxi or an Uber or a Lyft or one of these vehicles, then when you sign up, you should know that you're going to probably end up transporting a guide dog or some other service animal at some point in your career. If you're allergic to dog hair, or if you have some sort of uh, belief that you shouldn't be in the close proximity of a dog, then it might be best to consider a profession that is more suited to your beliefs and your incapacity. And here's a comment from Debbie Armstrong. I guess this is in response to the comments that Neil Ewers and I were talking about a couple of weeks ago on specialised blindness players and whether they have had their day or not. And she writes, I am a power user. I troubleshoot problems all day, working with a variety of disabilities and computer snafus. I love my iPhone and am comfortable trying new things with it. However... When I'm relaxing, I don't want to be a power user. I have 300 apps on the phone. I listen to audiobooks from various sources, read ebooks, download podcasts, and make recordings. But I have no interest in clogging up my iPhone's memory with all that recreation. It has no SD card. It has no way to easily delete data without deleting the app. I don't want to go into each app to delete its data. I have better things to do with my time. You can't just copy music or interesting things you downloaded from public radio broadcasts onto it. And it's difficult to use with one hand, as you need to find a flat surface to make it stick to first. So I read the majority of my books, listen to most podcasts, and often record notes with my Victor Reader stream. I can operate it with one hand while I'm in bed. I can swap out an SD card for different purposes. I can easily connect it to the computer to add and remove data without the hassle of iTunes or tracking to which app that data belongs. I can throw it in my gym bag without worrying that it looks like a valuable thing someone will want to steal. If I forget to charge it because I fell asleep, it doesn't matter because I use it for fun. And when I'm half asleep, I find it cognitively much easier to use as well. And best of all, 
if I run down my battery doing something recreational, my phone is still available for important, time-sensitive work. It reminds me of my sighted friend who nearly crashed her car because she was trying to navigate with her phone. Each time a notification popped up, she'd lose her place and spend way too much time looking at the screen instead of the road. Her kids bought her a dedicated GPS. It has a large screen to display the map, which she can just glance at, a loudspeaker with a clear voice announcing directions, and if she does get lost and needs to make a call, she hasn't run down her phone battery navigating. There is a place for dedicated devices, whether you are sighted or blind, and I personally think the phone makes a great backup for when you don't have your GPS, digital recorder, MP3 player, or television available. I can travel with just my iPhone and don't need other devices. If one of my devices breaks, I still have my phone. However, just because it can replace a dedicated device doesn't mean it should. Thank you very much for that, Debbie. You and I are polar opposites on this, absolutely polar opposites. So I've got a 256 gigabyte iPhone, so I don't have any difficulty in terms of the space on the device. iTunes is undoubtedly fiddly, and I wish we could just plug the thing in and use it as a USB drive. But that said, thanks to the Files app and iCloud Drive, I really find it pretty easy now to get a range of material onto the device. Also, many apps you can download directly from whether it be Bookshare if you use that or um, Audible or whatever the service might be. And what I really enjoy is the fact that I only have one device to carry around, one less charger to accidentally leave at a hotel. Uh, I don't have to worry about which device I put that book on. You know, is it on my blindness device or is it on my phone? I don't have that dilemma because it is the one device that takes care of all of my entertainment and business needs. I love being able to read show notes for my podcast and being able to double tap on a link and go to websites that are referred to in a show note. That is really important to me. I love being able to skip by chapter, for example, on the Blindside podcast. That's also something that I really value. When there's something that I'd like to skip past, I can very easily skip by chapter. And I'm afraid I'm a bit perplexed about the one hand thing. I regularly hold my iPhone 10 in one hand and use it just by flicking around the screen or tapping where I know something to be. So for me, using the device one-handed is not a problem. Um, I'm, I'm just trying to work out why that might be a problem for you and not for me. The sighted person example you give is really interesting because most people that I come into contact with now have a car kit type device in their car. So it might be a cradle, it might just be a cable that they plug in, but when they're using the phone in the car, it tends to be charging anyway, so they're not running the battery down. There's also the question of GPS data and whether you might have to get an extra SIM card for that if you want to be online with it. So for me, having the one device that does all of these things so conveniently is just so much easier than fiddling around with multiple devices. So I'm really glad that you shared that perspective because it's completely different from my own experience and it's really good to get that balance. So I appreciate you taking the time to write that down. We'll look forward to your contributions. The number again, 719-270-5114. That's 719-270-5114. You can email with some writing as Debbie did or you can attach an audio file to the blind side 
at mosin.org. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to The Blind Side, a production of Mosin Consulting. On the web at mosin.org.